We're going to pick it up in verse 5. It says this, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So just in case there was a rolling wave or some extraordinary scene that you viewed on the beach when I was teaching or whatever it may have been, at about chapter 9 is when Solomon moves into basically a moral qualifier. He says in his observations that are anointed, and in particular, granting wisdom in what we would call quips, idioms, figurative language, he says a lot with a little. And the application is then for you to make discovery as it may apply. It could be overtly to you, wow, that's my, that's my enlightenment just in that word, that phrase, those three verses. And so that's why when we look at the scriptures, it is the Spirit of God that's giving illumination to what we know thematically is the moral projection of God's heart for any who would read his voicing. So it deals with right and wrong. It deals with good and evil, godliness and godlessness. And that's what we need to understand is when you see a world that seemingly is falling apart, it will, because this isn't heaven at all, even on earth. It's heaven that's made a connection with earth, but it is not heaven on earth. There will be that in the millennial kingdom. But right now, what we are subject to is decay. We are subject to debauchery. We are subject for things not in inclination, but declination. It just is falling apart. So politics, good intentions, everything's falling apart. So with that, in this quip, this very short little observation, he's saying that there is a tag that God has given to us. If you were to come back on my shirt, and it was your curiosity really to find out what I'm wearing, you could find a tag. It would tell you my size. It's bigger than I want, but it's satisfying me for the moment. You'd find the company that made it. It's my tag. It tells you out of your curiosity where one, you could either get the same thing or you can make sure you never buy from that person again because of what it is you see me wear. And so both with wisdom and discovery, which is what we're moving through now, in a short phrase, or even what may be several, it's intended to garnish attention. It's intended to be able to make an assessment that has a moral value from it. And this is basically saying that for the righteous person, their thoughts are right. Now, some would argue, well, wait a minute, isn't the, the carnal man, which we can be, negating what the righteous man is said to be operating in? And so the truth of the matter is we can be either or. But with the Spirit of God in us, it's the Lord's intention that we are better than we are worse, that we're striving to overcome those things that are weaknesses for the things which are the attributes of God. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit on us. It makes our life a navigable pathway because rather than him securing the whip on our back, he guides us with the staff and the rod. It's a shepherd's guidance of us. He's not threatening us to put the cleaver on us, to hang us up. What he's doing is guiding and directing us away from influences that are sinister. But it's also the means when we see the Lord pictured as that, and, and Dale's been teaching, and I think that's his, his new course right now. Is that right? You did fishing. Oh, it's the farm. It's the flock in two weeks. Okay. So it's farming with Dale, practical insights on how to live a godly life on a farm, and then fleecing the flock. No, it's not fleecing the flock. It's how to raise a flock that has good fleece. 
Okay. So he's got a great course. So back to this verse. And so with that, the thoughts of the righteous are right. And that's why it's important because any man that says my righteousness is due to my work ethics, wrong. Your righteousness is that which is because you have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so it doesn't mean that you're a perfect person, male or female. It means that God has marked you with the attributes that are his. And as the spirit of God is both upon you in your time of need, as he's with you, and as he is influencing others through you, you get a chance to have great confidence that when the Lord rules in your heart saying, right, you're able to say, right, right it is. It's right that this is happening. It is right that I make this decision. And that's how your ruling comes, God governing over your heart. And that is an indicator that though your thoughts are of righteousness and they're right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Now, this is a parallel. You can probably see the picture. I can. I'm seeing Daniel. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were summoned to the court of Nebuchadnezzar because basically his satraps and counselors, the mystics that were a part of his court to give him wise counsel could not discern a dream that he had. And he sent them away with the threat. If you do not interpret my dream, I will kill you. That also was a threat that applied to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you go back and read the story, what those men did is, let's have a prayer party. We're going to move into a time of fasting and prayer and we're going to see if God meets us extraordinarily in discerning that which is right now a mystery. It didn't frighten them, but for the satraps, the mystics, the counselors of Nebuchadnezzar, it was wacko. They could not, first of all, they were not told the dream. They had to actually be able to understand that which wasn't even conveyed. That was the passing of it, is that if you're as wise and smart as you say that you are, then I'm not even going to disclose what it is I dreamt, but I did dream something, and you better tell me what it is I dreamt. And so Daniel and his brethren sought the Lord in prayer and fasting, and Daniel clearly saw it and thanked God for it. And when they were then brought before Nebuchadnezzar, they were able to say assuredly that the righteous God, their God, the God of Israel, made known to them the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so it was score righteous. And it was checkmark and actually checkmate for the counselors, the satraps, because they were rendered a judgment because they basically were liars. They couldn't. And they excused themselves saying it's impossible. Daniel stepped forward and say, with God, it is possible. And this is what it is he showed us. And so with that, the counsels of the wicked are deceitful because they'll strive to create an illusion that they are honest and worthy of being listened to. So now, as you've seen, and we've said it before, we live in an age in which prevailing lies are received as truthful utterances or pennings. And it's confusing people. God didn't make his commandments 14 pages for each one. He actually did quite well with 10 commandments on two tablets that told people how they were to worship God and how they were to get along with their brothers. They were like phrase and small phrase that gave simple instruction on how to love God lawfully, get along with your fellow men. And so when we look at this, it's not God's intention to heap laws upon us. It's God's intention to heap grace and mercy upon us. And so in this, it's the mark of wickedness and 
it is through deceitfulness. It's why really the people that, uh, in my opinion, that are elected officials and they are lying, they there should be a, there should be some consequence. It's a very troubling thing. Any teacher would tell you that if you're teaching a classroom, and you run into social striving, civility, and honesty is not being, um, you know, conveyed. It means you got a liar between two students at least, and maybe half a class. And you have to really work discerningly to figure out who's telling the truth. Now, that can be a learned behavior, but it's actually also something that innately can be that which we do. In essence, Adam and Eve lied about what it was they did, and they blamed each other for what it was that happened. So that can happen. But truth is so important. It is so important. And when its discovery is on the upper echelon of our government, it should have with it a consequence. We don't see that anymore. Everybody gets to slip out of of uh, seemingly their entitled truth. It's my truth. So it is truth. It's just my truth. Well, doesn't that make it a lie, though, if it contradicts God's word? Well, no, it's because I don't care about God. I care about myself and my truth. It's my truth. So that's the catchphrase today. Somebody's truth, but it's not God's truth. And so in that, it says they're deceitful. The wicked are always deceitful. Even if it appears that they have a smile on their face and great personalities, they're deceitful if they're wicked. And the only way you can't be wicked is if you are righteous. And the only way you can be righteous is if you have a relationship with God by faith and confession in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Verse 6, the words of the wicked are lie and wait for blood but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. So contrast, and in essence, this almost sounds like front page, the words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood. There has been a waiting of time period in which calculations were made, ammunitions were stored, communications were agreed upon, and in a given timeline, however that worked out, there was an invasion. That's the way most of those kinds of things happen secretively behind doors. The chambers of wickedness in this case were conducted. And so what we saw was truly an annihilation. And it wasn't army against army. It was an army against civility, against innocent civilians. Um, it is being considered in its horrific, you know, expression as akin to what um, the Nazis did in World War II. That's why there's such an outpouring of support for Israel, because there's no one that's refuting the heinous crimes committed against the innocent, calculatingly, unapologetically, celebrating it. We're in those times. Some of us may say, well, I don't want to talk about that. It's too yucky. It's, I don't get good sleep when we talk about those things. Well, <clears throat> think about what those families are going through. They don't get a lot of good sleep either. It's important to be able to share what is of truth. It's important to be able to also know that our behavior is that which we conduct honorably before the Lord. Because if not, what do we get filled up with? Hatred, right? We can have our own expression of wickedness by how it affects us when we are confronted with the expressions of evil. It's terrible what it does to you. The requirement of surrendering our emotions to the Lord when there's been such an affront and offense is a discipline that probably far too many of us, including me, are really not that strong in. To be hurt by an appalling action and to be able to come out of it as one that would turn the other cheek or to be able to say, I forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And yet it seems that the expression of the atrocity had calculations in which they knew exactly what they were doing. How do you separate it? 
Well, it's because in the spirit life, what a man or a woman may do, that actually has a stratagem to it, an outcome that is horrific, it basically means they can be subject to a spirit that governs them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They, we can have a manipulation of the soul of a person to do things that they would not, by reasonable conscience, commit. Because there is a war. Satan is at work to both blind and create deafness and hardness in the heart and to have justification for what a person is willing to do. They obviously are not people that have a saving faith. And you know, God's after their hearts too. God is after the heart of the one who would commit such an act against innocence. And that in itself is a whole another kind of challenge. How can God be so good, so willing to love them when I wrestle with just not wanting to hate them? Or in fact, I do hate them. In fact, if that happened, I would truly be treacherous myself towards them. And it doesn't mean to bear, if you would, the philosophy of the friendship or the Philadelphian mindset. Because we did have, and we do, the Quakers, the Philadelphians, the Friends, um, they live by a standard that they will die in pursuit of peace. They probably, I would say, are very close in their surrender to God, and it's so very admirable. They're the ones that when wars came up, they had a conscientious object objection to war. They would not participate. It challenged the government on what do we do with these guys? And one of the discoveries was, especially in the wars, is that they could be used then in the nursing area. They wouldn't be required to get into combat. They would be utilized to help those victims of combat. And they performed amazing under such duress because many of them not afraid for their own life would go out into the battlefield risking their life to take on those who were wounded and severely so that they needed to be brought in they had no fear of dying their heart was to save the infirm to save those who were the victims amazing with regard to the history of them and so the words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. And it means that that's what would happen several times back in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Daniel will find himself as an 83-year-old being tied into a lie against him. It was definitely for the purpose of taking out a godly man and he stuck to his righteous profile. His credibility in his relationship with God was proven. And ultimately, the Lord delivered him by his mouth. He just spoke honestly about God. That was obviously after Nebuchadnezzar was taken out and it was Darius who was put in. And Darius had been schnookered in terms of signing a writ of execution because of one who was not ceasing to pray towards Israel. And so it was a pretty extraordinary stand that Daniel said, I'm going to be okay. I know you're bound by your laws to see this through, but I'm going to be fine. And isn't that rather an extraordinary testimony that you could say, I'm going to be fine? You know, we're hearing that from... Carl, we're hearing that from Spencer and Kylie. We connected with them briefly in a FaceTime, and that's really what they're saying. We're going to be fine. Well, we're hearing about all the atrocities. It doesn't mean that that can't happen. It means that in faith right now, they're fine. They're fine. And if the fight broke out, their testimony would be, we were fine. And that's... Extraordinary. That's the same testimony that Daniel had and his brethren had, that Esther had 
Esther's a great example of a woman of God who submitted to the Lord in a time in which everything of her known world was subject to one dominating over ultimately her path, her future. And she submitted and saved a nation. Pretty extraordinary story that we had on Sunday with regard to that. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, and the house of the righteous will stand. So if we want to even continue to address this with regard to Israel, the house of the Lord will stand. Jerusalem will not fall because it's the city that Jesus will enter into. He comes back into the city through the eastern gate, which is blocked off, cemented in, bricked up to the hilt, graveyards all around it, an attempt to desecrate a holy pathway. And so Jesus is going to come back there. He's not going to come back to a rubble. There's not going to be this, guys, we're two weeks behind before Jesus comes. He's over there on the mount. He's praying. Let's get the project going. It's going to be none of that. The Lord will come back, and in that perfect and miraculous way, he will present himself again as the triumphant king without a doubt because his enemies will have been in demise. His enemies will no longer exist on the earth for that reign. Our enemies will no longer exist. They will be taken care of. A divine adjudication. Verse 8, a man will be commended according to his wisdom. Why is it important to ask for wisdom? Because you'll be remembered for it. And so one of the things that we ought to do is when we're asked, what do you think, Rich? Well, I think a lot of things, but my presumption is, is what you need is wisdom. And I have life experiences, many of them, not as many as others, but I have life experiences. So since you're asking, this is what I propose. Yeah, what, what do you propose? Let's pray. Let's pray for wisdom from you, for me, of course, but wisdom for you. You're the one actually that needs the wisdom. I have experiences that may indeed give some balance to what you're going through. But what you need is wisdom from God to make the decision that maybe by comparison to my experience has a resonating sound in your ears. As we see Christy and Brett getting ready to follow a path that I'm very familiar with. And as I see them both smile through it, encouraged in it, I know all of those emotions, both as a single man and then as a married man. I can see every tired track, every dust patch that certain roads kick up. I can see the city streets that at one time just to enter into Ducati, it was like, okay, breathe deeply, breathe deep. It wasn't even in Sonata. It was just Ducati. And it was such a huge thing that I was doing that I just found myself on my face all the time. Lord, wisdom. How do I get through this city? And so you may laugh, but he directed me to a police station. But I was afraid of the police because... Don't they throw you into the, you know, Tijuana jail? In the Tijuana jail. And so at any rate, I honestly just sought the Lord for everything that I was moving through. When you get there, and Christy's been there, but you know, you enter into Carmen Sedan, that wasn't even paved. That was a dirt, dusty, gravelly, washboard road. And I remember that when I entered into it in f two times, summer, and that in particular was the more difficult one for me because all of this spring grass had grown up. And from the advantage of coming in, even at the crest of now maybe a mile to go to get, I couldn't see, barely see the mission. And I'm going, Lord, which way do I go? I can't even see how to get there. I could see it, but the grass blinded me from seeing the path. 
And so with fear and trepidation and my gas just lightly pressing, you know, the accelerator, I just moved inch by inch, saw a road, and I said, Lord, which road do I take? So I took this lower right road. Lord, I see it to my left, but now what do I do? And I found another one after that and took that left and eventually swept around to the mission. Well, later on, I would laugh at what seemingly was such a crisis to get there because it became so evident. The path was always there. It was just covered. And there were actually at least two distinct routes to get there. I wasn't really lost. I was just frightened of the unknown. But I learned that even in that, to pray for wisdom that then comes and partners with the experience gives you great confidence to show other people. They're going to have that same thing. They're going to see the seasons of the sun and of the rains. They're going to see changes and turns in terms of what happens when it rains day after day after week. What happens with that spongy, decomposed granite soil? It changes. It changes just like our spiritual lives can have challenges in it. And so wisdom is what is highlighted here. So very important to know that wisdom is something that as you exercise it, by just praying, it's commendable. People will note, take note of you, and you will be known for that. But he is of a perverse heart will be despised. So again, there's this contrast. A wise person that will be commended, remembered for their wisdom, a perverse man that will be despised. So that can happen. The perversity of a person leads inevitably to them being despised, not honored. So even if you see celebrities this day that are perverted in both their activities and in their speech, it's only momentary that they are receiving any kind of attention. Inevitably, the word of God will come to pass and they will be despised. Better is the one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. And so this is talking about the substantive issue of status. Those that are pursuing fame right now and fortune basically are going to be the crumb grabbers. Nothing will be left. Those, however, who are content and at times needing to suffer with contention, in this case by a servant, in other words, that means not everything's going well for them, they're better than the ones seemingly who can brag about how good they're doing. And so we need to be those who understand that contentions can happen from the nearest of allies with us. And even those that perhaps don't even know us, contentions can happen and they do hurt. They provoke in us sorrow and regret. But the position of that over one who makes an assumption that, uh, wow, I've got it all. I'm admired by everyone. When that comes to pass, and it will, it has no foundation, they will be the lesser of the two. So it's only for a season. And so again, better is the one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. If you get slighted, you take that to the Lord. And he'll make the correction. A righteous man, verse 10, regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Again, a contrast. But isn't that cool that on Sunday, part of the illustration I gave in a real contemporary moment was the loss of our cat and the finding of our cat? Could have shrugged my shoulders and said, ah, it was only a cat, or ah, one less cat box for me to change. Donna's a real cat lover. No, thank you. <laughs> We're doing good. You take care of them, Donna. They need you. <laughs> but to but but anyway, this was a very rewarding verse to read regarding the life of his animal. So Christie went in pursuit in the darkness of night. 
I went just to the light. She went out into the darkness of the light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you coward, Richard. I confess, though, that under the light I went. She went beyond me into the darkness. She's a brave woman. <laughs> but I was holding up that lamppost for her. I was there waiting for her return. It wasn't like I wasn't doing anything. You know, I was bravely watching the lamppost. And so, but that didn't work. And so how do you stay encouraged when it seems that it's all gone? And so the only thing that we, again, could do is say, well, we've been in this before, some kind of distress with these animals. Let's pray. That's what I did do. But there was, honestly, three and a half days in the wet downpour. The weather was cold. 19-year-old cat, everything was against her but God. And then of all things to, indeed, um, because it was a prayer that, that Dennis and Rebecca had specifically saying, and that you'll find her on your porch. Well, our porch was actually somebody else's porch. But in order to get to that porch, she had to climb like the equivalent of the Washington Monument. <laughs> to get it, she did it. Because the word of the Lord would come to pass. So at any rate, just for your chuckle, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And this is the thing is that the cruelty of the wicked, they can disguise or believe in their heart at best that they're being merciful. That's one of the curious things about the Middle Eastern mindset, the godless nations. They have it all wrong in terms of what mercy means. All wrong. Because it's contrary to the gentleness of God, the kindness of the Lord. It's barbaric. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. That means it's the comparison of the party mindset to the one who is working hard with his mind, body, and soul, working to labor in the love of God. And so... It says that there's a satisfaction that comes in laboring, but in frivolity, there is going to be no gain. It will be an unfortunate outcome of lacking. Verse 12 says this, The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. A contrast again that a sign of wickedness is how impressed they are in what evil men obtain. And in essence, that's how cartels are able to both motivate themselves. They motivate themselves on what gain the next person got and how they can get the same foothold. One of the problems that we see today is that we've learned to tolerate the sinister, invasive wickedness that indeed propagates drugs and other kinds of things, and it subdues a people. You take away the mind of the people, you take away their convictions, you take away their health and vitality. They become only the next tier to the next corruption that indeed these cartels are doing. Shouldn't have been tolerated. There are many things that we've done um, to make things perhaps... Um, as applied mercy, and it hasn't been merciful. The drug scene goes back a long, long ways, and I shared with you that my dad taught sociology, and it was so rampant back in the early 70s, late 60s, that it was taught in school sociology, an entire course on how to recognize drugs, how ultimately under their influence behavior could be um, detected. I saw friends in my generation very early on 1971, 72, 73, um, began their life odyssey toking grass. I clearly remember they were no longer the friends that I originally liked them for. They turned out to be idiots. We called them, and they were proud of it being called. They were stoners. And... Itty, 
idiotic behavior and they couldn't function in class. They were intellectually stupefied. They were terrible for anything. All they could do was get high. I remember it clearly. And most of them did not live too much far into the life that I've been able to enjoy because it only required more of what it is their body could not inevitably handle. Suicides and basically disease, things that ultimately were related to um, the influence of drugs. And so my generation, 66 and now higher, and I was on the low end of the baby boomer generation, we saw many of our friends, victims of that unproductive, really unproductive. That's not a good thing to have a generation of unproductive youth because they grew up to be dependent upon society and uh, as opposed to dependent on God and functioning in society. So you need to understand that. It's not a funny thing that we have tolerated both drug usage recreationally. Um, I have a different perspective medicinally under such needs because we do have some very awkward diseases. Parkinson's is one of them. And they have found out that certain drugs help alleviate and correct some of the neurological, neurological pathways of what that disease ultimately does. But other than that, it's, uh, you know, you and I don't know exactly who we're driving with late at night. It used to be drunk driving, but now it's doped driving. It's dangerous out there. There's no guarantee that one may not have been drinking, but they might have been token. And the stuff that's being made today is far more um, of a higher, if you would, grade uh, as a narcotic than the early years. So moving on with this. Devoid of understanding, the, the frivolous one. The wicked cover the catch of the evil man, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. And so this is, a, this is absolutely a picture that God gives us concerning the righteous, whereby streams of water, our roots go down deep into the soil of God's word. And we are ones who then vitally grow up to both make provision of shade. That means in times of drought, we're cool, we're kept by the Lord. And there's fruitfulness and bounty in our life. It's a great picture. The wicked is ensnared, verse 13, by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. And so eventually the wicked person by his own lips will be ensnared. And that's true. When there's the habitual liar, they eventually stumble over their lives. They can't keep track of how their path has been covered by untruth they eventually get ensnared by it a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him and so a man who is recompensed by his own hands is one who in contrast to the one who is um, satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth so one of the ways that we demonstrate the fruit of our mouth is by literally having the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit seen in us and heard by us. Love can be manifested. Joy can be manifested. Peace can be manifested. Love, joy, peace. Patience can be manifested. Kindness can be manifested. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness can be manifested. Temperance can be manifested. Your choices of simply having in any given moment in time, the ability to say, no, thank you. Why, thank you. I will. No, thank you. I'm good. I'm fine. Tempered. Things just don't pull you away from the demeanor that offers somebody a second chance. Period. Thank the Lord for second chances. Thank the Lord for saving guys that failed second grade. <laughs> that was me. Who was it? Somebody though shared with somebody called that to me. Somebody called that to me and said, It was who? 
It was rivers. Where was that when he said it? It was? It was? He confessed he failed third grade. Oh, second? Well, somebody failed third grade. <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? My honesty led somebody else to be honest, and here we are. We're failures, and yet we stand before you as forgiven failures. You know, God made something out of us. So at any rate, um, we're almost through as far as I'm able to get us through. So the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. And so this is really important. I think this is an important phrase for all of us, that all of us need to be careful listeners so that we do not come across as conceited thinkers. I listen. I am so impressed by those who, when I see them, their ears are just attentive, their heads nod. They are stoic in a reverent way. I appreciate that. Because I'm a speaker, I'm really impressed with those who are listeners. It's what I want to do better myself personally and pastorally. But he who speaks in this case um, and heeds counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. And I like this too. The fool is easily able to be provoked to wrath and that seems to be an expression that has the weight of perhaps demi he breaks things, she breaks things. Wrath tends to be something that is of consequential in how it expresses itself. I never grew up in a household like that. If something broke, it was because one of the Albert brothers messed up doing dishes. And you could hear mom, oh, don't tell me that was one of my, okay, I won't. No, you tell me now, was that one of our fine pieces of China? You told me not to tell you. Now I want to know. <laughs> no, it's just the everyday dishware. Are you lying? Okay, I was lying, but. <laughs> Sorry, mom, forgive us. But it wasn't the China, and that's true. It was just some of the stuff better than the common stuff. So we would get that at any rate. A fool's wrath known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. And so this is where it means that we're willing to protect um, the difficulties that somebody may be going through. I've been protected by my, I've been protected by those who could say, you know, this is what I know you did, but I know you did it. And I know also you better than the event, than the circumstance. I know you better. And so between you and I, that's what you need to know. Between you and I, it's only known. And I've had brothers literally in my family who were protecting me as a younger brother just by choosing to say, I'll fix that for you. I'll take care of that. We can get through this. I've had my older brother do it. I mean, basically being the second of the two youngest or the first of the two youngest, I was always covered in some manner by my older brothers. They would just step in. I, at some point in time, was even covered by some MPs. Those are military police. Rich, what are you going to tell us now? It was nothing. I was running away from home. <laughs> I didn't tell my parents. That's what you try to do is run away from home without telling them. But I should have known that it's very difficult to get off a military base when your father's the colonel. So an MP came cruising along, and I think I had this stupid, well, I had a hobo sack on too. Because that's what we did back then. You'd grab your stick and throw your underwear in a pillow and tie it up and you were cool looking for the train there were no trains down at Santa Ana not that I remember but I was looking for one so an MP comes rolling by hi there rich hi hey it looks like you're going somewhere uh-huh where are you going somewhere somewhere off base uh-huh 
Why do you want to do that? Because I'm mad. Hey, have you ever have you ever ridden in an MP's Jeep before? Do you want to do that? Okay, we'll have to park your bike or I can throw it in the back here. You want to do that? And so bike went in the back, hobo stick went in the back. Hey, have you ever used one of these intercoms before? You want to use it? Here, press it. And you'll hear somebody in there, there and, you know, hello? Hello, this is, uh, you know, headquarters. What do you got going on there? 415 or whatever the code was on it. Hey, this is 415. This is MP Kyle. Uh, got the colonel's son with me. We're going out for an ice cream right now. Just wanted to let you know. Reassure the colonel that uh, Corporal, whatever his name was, Kyle, I'm taking his son out for ice cream. And I'll bring him back home. 10-4 on that. And I never heard from my father, my mom, because Corporal Kyle took the full weight of my shame. He built me up. He took me back home. And I'm confident he said, Colonel, I checked your son out. He's good for go. Don't touch him. He really is good for go. He only made it like half a football field away from Quartersby. That's where we lived. And so it's important to know that there are things that we are able to do that cover those who indeed have been uncovered. And that's a prudent compliment is what it says. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So that's how you know that your speech is promoting health because its effect is helpful. It's soothing. It creates for an individual what the other um, decommissions, and that's their vitality and their spirit. So there you go. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous. I like that. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous. The grave will not overtake the righteous. No grave trouble. That means something desperate, dangerous, will overtake the righteous. But the wicked shall be filled with evil. So that's why one of the things that we say is, why does it keep getting worse? Because wickedness breeds contempt against God and it basically breeds other forms of evil what conquers evil righteousness why because the righteous person is the regenerative person they're not the same they're not the same as they once were god knows that the difference between a wicked man and a righteous man is the spirit of god indwelling that has been given a place in the heart and when a person has that place filled with the Spirit of God, then everything about the potential and ultimately who they shall be remembered as is prevailed by God. Not by what they did, not by who they once were, but what God wants to do with them right now, presently. Those who deal truthfully are his delight. Verse 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. And so one of the things that this is saying with regard to the prudent concealing knowledge, it means they're not getting into everybody's brain about how much it is they know. Had Jesus chosen to truly say every single thing that could be spoken to a person, it would have overwhelmed everyone. There wasn't any greater discretion used demonstrated on earth, but Jesus towards men. That's why sometimes we say, couldn't he have said more? He said a lot. John would say the things that were seen of him would amass volumes that could not even be contained. And therefore, if the things seen of him, imagine the things that he could have spoke. He spoke in the language that could be easily understood, assimilated, appropriated, and ultimately effectually performed. Pretty awesome for the Lord. The hand of the diligent will rule, 
But the lazy man will be put to forced labor. That's why very often the exercise of diligence is learned here in the church, in the home, because ultimately it will be a ruling position that a person will have. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So the anxious person can move into the area of depression. What's the remedy for that? A good word. Where do you get a good word? At church. Where do you get a good word? You get a good word through Christian music. Where do you get a good word? By opening up your Bible and saying, Lord, it's a good word. Give it to me. Wash me with it. A promise, Lord, to establish me in my moment right now of anxiousness. You'll find so many promises in the word of God pertinent to your time. And the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. So whenever you think uh, missionary dating, missionary um, infiltrating, it only works really if that's the mission field and it's a foreign nation. If it means infiltrating those who indeed are wicked, it says that you're at risk ultimately in being corrupted. We need to be mindful of that. We need to be very careful about that. They can be led astray. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession in the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. And that is true. In the pathway of righteousness there is no death, for to pass from this life and to be in the presence of the Lord is in one billionth of a second, if not faster and so as this closes with regard to the lazy man, it means that what he's got isn't appreciated, and so basically it's worthless to him. That identifies the lazy person. That's why it's kind of fun to see and listen to hunters because they value the work that they put in to going after an animal, which I believe God has permitted both in fishing and in hunting, and they take great pride and ultimately the preparation of that to bring it home. I appreciate them because I'm not a hunter. So I like what I'm able to find in a store. I'm glad I don't have to exercise, you know, my frontier spirit, my manly strength trying to haul in a carcass that weighs more than me. Wouldn't happen. Anybody knows that. I'm not your Davy Crockett. I'm the guy that can push a grocery cart down the store and still get lost but come out with something. 